Welcome to the Joy of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Dr. James Taylor. On this podcast, we explore the passion and purpose of leadership. And we do so by talking with recognized leaders who do not merely have jobs, but men and women who have been called to their chosen sphere of influence. Hey, it is such a privilege to be able to jump in uh, with Pastor Kenny Grant. And uh, so I, I, you know, this is in our second season, Pastor, and, and uh, man, I've liked everybody I've had on the show. Uh, it's nice to have <laughs> somebody on the show. Yeah, it's, it's nice to have somebody on the show that I truly love. Yeah. And uh, a friend, a mentor, a brother. Uh, we had a chance to serve, was it nine years? Yeah, nine yeah. years. And so had a chance to serve for nine years wow. uh, in the Good city of Savannah and, and, yeah. uh, and just enjoy, you know, all that, all that God did. And so you've been a, a powerful testimony to me. Uh, to my wife, and uh, really, I, I know I've said this before, and I know that you hate it when I say it, but I'm going to say it just so the audience can hear it. But you, you get those rare people in your life that just they help define who you are as a man and who you are as a leader. And and I, I, I know you hate it when I say it, but it humbles uh, me. Jim. Yeah, you and you and, and another guy named Bill Shorey and my dad, I, I would say, are the three the three guys who, uh, when I when I think about people who have shaped me uh, and shaped my leadership you know, you're right in that very, very short list. And so it's a, it's a, such a, such a privilege Thank you. to have you on the show today. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. All right. So, Hey, listen, so in the show, we kind of, we just kind of walk through and, and listen to stories if yeah, that's all right. That'd be great. And, uh, and just kind of hear about what God has done. Uh, tell us real briefly about where you are right now. And then I promise we'll circle back to that again. Okay. I'm the teaching pastor at community church of Southeast Georgia, coastal Georgia, uh, it's a church of about 2,000 people. Uh, we have two campuses, one on St. Simons and one in Brunswick. And I'm there as the teaching pastor after, after having been a church planner and a uh, lead pastor for 36 years now. I'm, not, uh, I'm no longer carrying that load and that privilege. But uh, in this church, I, I preach about 26 times a year. And then the other 26 weeks, I'm free to do. Uh, You're on the road. I'm on the road. Now, now the story of how that was formed, I, I frankly love, because uh, the pastor who was there prior is not gone, right? Well, the pastor who, the lead pastor is gone. Okay. And I happened to have preached there uh, one week, and he was there. Usually, he was never there when I went to preach at this, this church. That's why I went to to, to preach, but right. this particular week I went to preach, and he told me that his time at that church was was uh, coming to an end, and uh, in two weeks he was he was gone. No kidding. Yeah, and um, the the uh, discipleship pastor was sort of vetted, and I really felt like he was their pastor anyway. But they they uh, investigated him, of course, and mm-hmm. he turned out to be exactly who they needed. The lead pastor is Mark Fritchman, my good friend. But when he became the lead pastor, he asked me if I would come and help him share the pulpit duties there. Awesome. So he handles the the kind of heavy lifting day-to-day. Right. And you're jumping and in for about staff, half of the time He's such an imaginative teacher. leader right. and a consensus, a consensus leader. Okay. Where he, he brings everybody on. He has that ability to do it. I've learned so much about his style of leadership. But he does have the preaching and, and, and then oversees the staff. Now, I did not realize they were that big. I didn't realize they were 2,000. I mean, that's yeah. a big church. We have about 15, 1,600 people who come wow. every Sunday. Yeah, We really have good. you know two, two locations and two services in both locations. Okay. 
Okay. Now, St. Simon Islands, that, that, that's not suffering for the Lord too much down there, is well, it? Well, you know, people have asked me, why in the world would I want to leave Savannah, Georgia to go to St. <laughs> Simon's? But, uh, you know, I just love the Lord. St. Simon's <laughs> a slice of heaven right there. That's pretty that's It is pretty really impressive. nice. You know, I was born over in Brunswick, yeah, and yeah. so St. Simon's, I've, I've been on St. Simon's more in the last 13 months than I had my whole no life. Kidding. No and I'm a 62-year-old uh, prior to this. So, yeah, I work there now. So. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, so, let's, so now let's go back to the beginning, and then we'll kind of okay. we'll come back to this spot. T- take me back to, like, like early Kenny Grant. Yeah. Uh, take me back to your childhood. I, I know the story, but I think it's a powerful story. You just spoke in chapel, which I think was kind of a living example of that passage out of Matthew. Um, but take me back to that to that early Kenny Grant. Tell me a little bit about what, what it looks like growing up. Tell me a little bit about yeah. you know that salvation story, how you get to that spot. Good. So I was I was raised in a in a very decent family. Um, as I look back in retrospect, I see my mom and dad had some serious problems, but we were sort of shielded from a lot of those things, and, and we had a happy childhood. And I was born fifth of six children. And uh, when I graduated high school from Glen Academy High School. Uh, I decided to go off to the United States Marine Corps. Uh, my parents didn't have money for college, and I didn't have the grades, so it sort of worked <laughs> out. And so I went off to the Marine Corps, and after being in the Marine Corps just a few months, um, I came home for leave, and there was a 14-year-old girl who was impregnated with my baby. And uh, really, that was the beginning, James. As I look back now, God began to sober me up the thought of this little girl, I'm 17, she's 14, she's pregnant with my baby. God began to sober me up, to make me think more seriously about things than I'd ever thought before. And it wasn't long after that, May 3rd, 1979, that's my date, where someone shared the gospel. And for the first time, I heard a clear presentation of the gospel about a God who loved me and gave his son to die for me. And I remember that night where I chose Jesus Christ. He chose me, certainly. But I accepted him as Savior. And the first thing I did was call my mama and say to mama, mama, I said, I don't understand it all. I said, but I received Jesus uh, tonight. I said, my life is going to be forever different. My mom, she was a decent woman, but not a Christian at that time. No. <laughs> she did. She thought I'd bump my head. Here a 17-year-old <laughs> boy calling in the middle of the day. Uh, well, at this time, I was 18. And I called, you know, sort of in the and middle of the day. And from the Marine Corps. I, I, yeah, in the yeah. Marine Corps. Yeah, I was a long-distance call, a collect call. You remember those collect oh, yeah, calls absolutely. the good old days? But uh, she uh, she thought I'd bump my head, you know. But uh, I, I got off the phone with my mom, and I called this little 15-year-old girl at that time. And I said to her, I said, listen, uh, I said, my life has been changed. Jesus saved me, and, and my life is going to be different. And I said, your life is going to be different. I said, we're going to get married, and we're going to raise this baby and that's sort of the way a young Marine proposes, you know. <laughs> but we were married just months later, and um, that baby was born a baby girl. And we've been married now for four to three years, and uh, four children now, seven grandchildren, the last of which was born on my birthday, <laughs> December awesome. 22nd. That's awesome. And so God has blessed me. When I look at, at my life, there's no explanation for my life except for the goodness of God, the grace of God. So I enjoy the blessings, but I give him the glory. Now, I know where you are now. Stay with me in the Marine Corps here for a little while. You, you're actually selected uh, to be a trainer. And uh, walk walk me through like what what transpires there with you in the Marine Corps, why you're selected for this role, how that 
I, I know that you've got a, somebody who was very influential in your life during that period of time. Walk us through kind of how God guided your steps during that time. Well, James, you know, I had come to know Christ, and so I joined a little independent Baptist church right outside the gate of Cherryport, North Carolina, and that man, his name was Les Hart, and he poured into my life. He really became that Paul, and I was sort of his Timothy, and, and he gave me a love for the Word of God, and I began to read the Word of God and memorize the Word of God. That's an ability God gave me to be able to memorize Scripture mm-hmm. and memorize poetry and memorize art. And so I began to just memorize the Scripture and fall in love with the Word of God. And there with a young family, young wife, and a, and a little baby, uh, we began to just grow in the Lord. Well, I've always had sort of a gift of gab, and I wanted to be uh, an instructor. And I was um, selected to go to uh, a school in Memphis, Tennessee, where I had gone through as an aviation ordinanceman, and I went back to be an instructor at that school and and had some great accomplishments there. But what I really wanted to be was a drill instructor, United States Marine Corps drill instructor. There's some uh, esteem that goes with that. And so I qualified for that, went off to Paris Island, went through the school. Um, and, you know, there's some, it takes some qualifying for Absolutely. that. You have to have, you know, certain kind of physical training and physical. And so we went there and we became a, a, a drill instructor and served in that capacity for two and a half years. The best duty I ever had in the Marine Corps. I still have men now who are in their 60s, you know, men who are in their 50s who, who remember me, know me well, and who say, hey, you made a difference in my life, uh, you know, as, as a drill instructor. Awesome. Uh, you never forget your Marine Corps drill instructor. <laughs> but I went through, and I stayed only in nine years. But during that time, James, God began to work in my heart about the gospel ministry. I had not gone to school, hadn't college, no college, hadn't gone to seminary. But God, I believe with all my heart to this day that God impressed me to sort of light a match to um, to my Marine Corps career, and um, we started a church. We planted a church in Brunswick, Georgia, because I was burdened for my family. Just after you friends, left the Marine Corps? Just after I left the Marine okay. Corps. As a matter of fact, I left Paris Island. My last duty as a United States Marine was to preach to the chapel at mm. church uh, at Paris Island, and I left Paris Island with tears in my eyes, knowing that I would just let, light a match to that, but I'm going to something Noble is something greater, certainly the gospel. We started a little church, and um, listen, the first service, the first service, my dad walked the aisle. My no dad tr- trusted Christ as his Savior. He's a man who had been a womanizer, a man who had been just living his own life, and God arrested him. He was saved that day. And um, from that day to this day, I don't know of anybody who had as radical a turnaround in their lives. I saw the grace of God at work in his mm. life. And my dear dad trusted Christ as Savior. And so that was, I think, James God saying to me, hey, you where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to do. And we pastored that church for, for nine years and saw it grow and people come to Christ and families changed and having a clear gospel witness in the African-American community mm-hmm. where in my mind that the gospel had sort of been turned into sort of civil rights uh, in so many of the churches. That mm-hmm. was the big agenda, um, equality and having the rights to do this and that. And the gospel of Jesus Christ that really changes lives was not being preached so much as it should have been. And so we saw our church uh, have an impact in that in that community. 
And after nine years, we went to Savannah to start again, and we pastored a church there. First Southern Baptist Initiative, as reaching African American people in Savannah, and we pastored there for thirteen years. Mm-hmm. And I uh, really have always loved traveling and preaching and going different places. I love that. And, um, and was going to go into full-time evangelism when, of course, and then you know this part, mm-hmm. Calvary asked me to come and be their pastor and pastor there for 10 years. When did you start Kenny Grant Ministries? Kenny Grant Ministries was started not long after I got to Calvary, maybe at about uh, 2013, something okay. like that, where I began to do these men's ministry in, in uh, what we call the Band of Brothers mm-hmm. there. And, uh, in I Savannah. didn't realize it started that late. I thought it started a lot earlier. No, huh. no, no. Just, okay. Yeah. It was after I got to Calvary that okay. it started. Huh. Um, now tell me, during this whole process... Where's Shirley in this thing? Like, is she is she just along for the ride? Is she? Uh, how's God speaking through her to confirm oh, yeah. what God is doing? I mean, she's a strong and powerful woman. So, yeah, she is. Tell, tell tell me tell me how that tell me how that part aligns. Well, I believe this that God gave me the. I was thinking this just the other day. God gave me the perfect wife, not because she's a perfect person, but she's a perfect wife for me. You would say that about KT. I'm I would sure. absolutely not a perfect person, but perfect for me. Shirley is not a go along to get along, but 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 Shirley has supported me, and she has said what Ruth said to Naomi: "Wherever you go, I'm going." Mm-hmm. She sort of hitched her wagon to, to, to where she felt like God was leading me and she's been willing to, to come. And certainly she's growing in her own right and ministering in her own right, but she has really in her life said, I'm going to go where you go. And from the first move to the last move, you know, she said, sweetheart, if this is what you feel like the Lord wants, I'm going. And you know, Shirley's a, as you said, she's, she's, a, she's an educated woman. She's a smart woman, good-looking woman, yeah. you know. But she has really seen her, uh, her life as being simply as a helper to me. I really believe she believes that. She is a fitting helper to my life. I, I love the idea, too, that when you, when you make the decision, when you determine to be so audacious— as to do what God says, <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, yeah. which, which it seems like that's such a simple process. Yeah. And yet it is so rare, yeah. even with people who go to church every week and kind of punch this religious clock. Yeah. It is so rare yeah. for people to actually do what God says. You know, and, I, and, and one definition of faith is learning how to live without scheming. I feel like I'm sort of a, a schemer by nature, like Jacob. Jacob was mm. a schemer. Mm. And faith is learning how to live without scheming. Just obey God and leave the consequences to him. Just obey him, not scheming, not trying to get desired results. I've been guilty of that in my life, not trying to manufacture results. God never called Christians to results. Now, he's called us to fruitfulness, mm. Right? But results are more product than produce. Mm. <laughs> Fruit is produce. Right. And it comes from life. And only one person in all the universe has life. And so God's called us to be fruitful and, and, and not, not create and, and come up with products. And we love to produce results. And he never called us to results. He called mm. us to fruitfulness. And fruitfulness comes from faithfulness, being faithful to well, and, and that's And that's so evident in your relationship like I love, I love the fact that Shirley's you know been a really successful nurse, 
But I also love the fact that she's gone on to do the nurse practitioner yeah. and loves what she's doing love and, and is Mental really being rewarded for it. Really? Um, you know? I, I, James, the, the, the blessings are ours, but the glory is his. That's right. And I, I'm not trying to sound super-duper spiritual here, right? I've said this so often that God doesn't mind us enjoying the blessings. He gives us all things richly to enjoy. So enjoy the blessings, whatever success is, whatever you have in a way of attainment, accomplishments, whatever, enjoy them. But don't encroach upon his glory. Give him the glory. Everything I have, everything I am, I have, and I am because God has blessed me mm. and blessed our lives. And look, took two kids who didn't know really where the first two babies came from almost, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, mm-hmm. we were so young and and has now given us 43 years of marriage and four children who love us and love to be mm-hmm. with us and seven grandchildren. See, I'm really jealous about that. Uh, well, so well, I'll tell you. I'll I'm tell looking you. forward to it. Yeah. I'm looking for number one. It's coming. No doubt it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. You know. But, uh, you know, uh, my good friend Cam Huxford says, says this, that, you know, other than grandchildren, everything in life is overrated. Everything else is overrated. <laughs> See, I can't wait to know. I can't wait to know that. Yeah. Um, it, I, I, I love just the idea that everything's kind of stacked against you and Shirley when you're young. Yeah. And yet when God is in it, that 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 not only does he pro- provide, but he provides in abundance yeah, for those who are willing to be called according to his spirit. Like yeah. for those who are willing to be to really and truly surrender their path. Yeah. Not to say they're surrendering their path, but right. but really they're going to still direct it out of their own intellect. You know, I, I, I challenge my staff here all the time and my students all the time. I, th- I think, and I think the guy in my mirror has been guilty of this an awful lot, Okay, where I have only tried to accomplish for much too much of my career that which I knew I could accomplish. And now, that's considerable, James. I mean, now, I'm a person who admires you. <laughs> that's considerable, but I guarantee you it's less than what God would. And that's what I'm do. saying is yeah. that is that I, I think that, you know, if we've got a little bit of intellect and we've got a little bit of conversational ability and, and we've got a little bit of leadership, yeah. you know, so often we do things and we put a little Jesus on it, yeah. and we're going to say that it's him. But we know in our hearts that it was us. Yeah. And, you know, as I've, <laughs> as I've gotten older, I've really tried to say, what is it that yeah. we're trying to accomplish that only God can do? Mm-hmm. So that at the end of when this thing gets done, only God receives the glory. Because right. it's too bombastic <laughs> for us to ever take credit for it. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. And that's, like, that's really where I've said in my, this next chapter of my life, Man, I only want to tackle things that I can't do. Yeah. I only want to jump on things that that at the end of the day, he gets the glory. Amen. You know, and Amen. that's that's such a challenge to live. Yeah. And you talk about the man in the mirror being guilty of that. Well, I too, I have my own mirror. And uh, what I spoke about, you know, the difference between product and produce, you know, fruit and results, I speak out of my own life. I know when I've tried to manufacture things right. and, and I try to manage the landing of a thing. And God has called me just to trust him, and I'm trying to do that. And uh, you're talking about, you know, when, you have, when you've been gifted, when you've been blessed to be able to, James, you're, you're an incredibly gifted person, and I can understand how this might be a seduction for you. I'm reading a book now called The Solomon Seduction. It's a tremendous book, and it talks about 
that man that's been gifted, maybe above average, and how the tendency to rely upon themselves rather than God, mm. right? And then God becomes sort of a, a resource, right. but not the source. Right. God is not so much loved but used. Right. And that's a seduction. Right. Because you have natural skill and ability to be able to cut through a lot that maybe other people don't. And the great temptation is to depend on that rather than the God who can do so very much more. That's why I, I, I thank God that he brought uh, our lives together. I, I really do. Like I, I, Karen and I have talked about this so much. We are just, we are so thankful that the, that the Lord brought you and Shirley into our lives. Uh, now it'd be almost 14 years ago. And, and just to be able to understand how God worked, your ability to look into God's word and to see truth and to glean truth, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's remarkable. And so I look at the talent level that you have and how God has used your life mightily, and yet you exude humility. You exude this idea where, where God is at the center. And, and I'm just telling you, that was so important for me uh, to, to really have you step into my world and let me just observe that, to see it lived out. Well, this, this is absolutely mutual. And, um, and only God will be able to tell me, I think I know, but the whole story will be told about how much of an impact you played in my life during the time you were there at Calvary. And I'll be honest to tell you, you know, we got together sometime and we <laughs> we rang our hands together yeah. and we, we lamented together, but... I was incredibly encouraged by your presence. And I remember when you told me that you're going to leave, I, I thought, well, I guess I'll just have to trust God now. Won't I? <laughs> because I come to depend upon your counsel and depend yeah. upon, you know, you being on the campus. I always felt like when you were there, things were okay. Yeah. I always felt well, that way. That. Well, not just, not just from the school side, but in church as well. Yeah. I always felt better when you well, were there. I appreciate that. All right. So talk to me about calling. This is one of the things that if I kind of pull out the, you know, my Bible is full of of Kenny Grant wisdom, where where I, I write quotes and different questions that I have in there. Um, the whole concept of calling yeah. is something that is is really critical to to the way that I view the world. Yeah. So I'm challenging my staff, I'm challenging my students all the time that don't don't just have, and I know this comes directly from you, a job. Don't, don't just have a job. If we're if we're just having a job, even a job that we enjoy, yeah. Uh, but we miss the idea that we were called to it. Right. I've always looked at at the way that you've led and the way that you've lived uh, to see that you were such an evidence of God's calling. How how do you understand God's call on your life and how that has impacted uh, the the path of your life? Okay, so my view of calling is this that I'm not called into ministry necessarily. I'm not called into... The calling is to Jesus. Mm. And then there are many sendings and placements. One call, and that call is always to... The call is to Jesus himself and sent in the ministry. When Jesus called the, uh, the twelve... He went up into a mountain, he sat down, and he called them to himself. And listen, here's what the calling was, that they might be with him. That's the calling. Mm -hmm. So a calling is that I might just walk with God. Yeah. That's my calling. 
And then he places me, he sends me here and there. I really look at calling that way. You know, if I said, if I said come, there's only one place a person can come. Mm-hmm. There might be many places he can go. It's only one place uh, you can like come. And so when the Lord says come, he called me to himself. And he places me where he wants me. He sends me where he wants me. So I realize my life is called to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. And I do want to honor him with that as much as it is or as little as it is. Mm-hmm. Whatever abilities, whatever gifts, whatever skills. Just what we were talking about that I want... Listen, if I, am a, if I am a man, I want to be a Christian man. The modifier of my manhood is Christian. I'm a Christian man. If I'm an American, I'm a Christian American. If I'm a black person, I'm a Christian black person. Everything is modified. Everything revolves around my call to honor and glorify the one who died for me. Mm. All right, so take me to this idea of calling. Take me back to the inception of Kenny Grant Ministries because I was always pretty impressed with the, the group of guys that, that you gathered around you for that process. Man, was it a varied group of dudes. Yeah. Like, it was amazing. So t- take me back to that and how, how God instructed you there and how you followed into that path. Okay, so let me clarify something I said earlier. The ministry was actually incorporated and started with articles of incorporation and all that around um, uh, 2013. Okay. But we had started earlier, okay? okay? And um, But there were a little group of men having a Bible study there together, and a businessman, uh, a local businessman had a friend who got came to Christ, and they were having a little accountability Bible study. And then it grew to about 25, 30 guys. And... And uh, I visited that little Bible study, and um, I was asked if I would kind of like lead it. I had a friend of mine, John Crosby, mm-hmm. you might know who was leading it. I was asked if I would lead it, and I began to lead that Bible study, and God just began to bless it. It's kind of like, you know, you, you everything he puts in your hand, you hold openly like that, and God can put in what he wants, take out what he wants. And so that Bible study sort of grew, and before long you had not just businessmen, you had um, blue collar guys mm-hmm. and white collar guys, no collar guys, and there's the sheriff, and there's the mayor, and there's the U.S. congressman, and there's a doctor, there's a lawyer, and before long, you've got guys in there from every strata, all you know, every strata, yeah, and they're they're white, black, Hispanic, and and it's still so, but it's a beautiful thing, and I can't take any credit for it. Again, I enjoy the blessings of being a teacher there, and I've learned as much from those guys as they, I'm sure they learned from me, but. I have to just give God the glory. It's, uh, you know, I can't make a thing to grow. I can keep something from growing, mm-hmm. but I can't cause it to grow. Only God causes a thing to grow. Somebody can plant, somebody can water, but God gives the increase. God is the one who causes that thing to grow. And um, I just, uh, I'm, a, I'm amazed at the ministry. And we've started now. We, you know, we have two groups that meet in Savannah, one on a Tuesday morning, one on Friday morning. And, and uh, we're not up to the numbers in the building that we were before COVID, but people are online and people in, you know, about 900 people in that ministry. We started in Savannah and we run about 60, I mean, uh, on St. Simon. I was wondering if you started one Yeah, we have about 60 guys coming to that. And it's only going to grow because I believe God's hands on it. Men want a place, James, to pull aside Mm -hmm. and hear it 
straight. Right. And hear it in a way that maybe you can't even preach on Sunday morning. Yeah, you preach it hard. Yeah. Preach I mean, and you, hold the, yeah. you hold yeah. men accountable. And I need to be held accountable. Right. And I preach that way because I need it. Right. There's well, a lot of marine drill instructor that comes out oh, yeah. on, those, on those early mornings. But yeah. it, it, it always impressed me each, each time I went uh, that really and truly it was, it was a, a more varied subsection of society than I think I'd ever seen in any yeah. other place I'd ever attended. Yeah, for Southeast Georgia. Yeah. I mean, just across country. And, I, and, and it was just something just to marvel at. God did it. And, uh, you know, don't try to explain it. Just enjoy it yeah. and, and then leverage it for his honor and his I'd, glory. I'd go and sit with Judge Edenfield, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, and he'd introduce me to the ex-cons around him that he'd put in the jail. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I put this guy in jail 11 years ago. You know, he'd tell me stories about this, oh, yeah. this guy. I mean, here's the judge sitting next to the, the ex-con that he yeah. put away. Oh, listen. You know, the, the, the U.S. congressman, he's always getting pictures taken of him. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the, the congressman's there. And, I mean, yeah. just Every color, every yeah. background. Yeah. Amazing. I just, it's, it is amazing, James. And I wish, I, well, I don't. Uh, I can't take credit for it. God has done that. And um, he's just given favor to it. It's all the grace of God. Yeah. We need you a know. branch of that in Decula, Georgia. Yeah. Be nice to have. Men want that. I'll yeah. be honest to tell you, men yeah. want that. And the volunteers we have to get up two o'clock in the morning and begin to cook that big breakfast and yeah. do all of those things. And I don't think you has to have... Uh, breakfast, but that big breakfast laid out, you yeah, know, bacon and Bible. Yeah. It's amazing what men will do for bacon <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> and, well, and, and that really comes back to the idea of calling, too. Is You had preached a sermon years ago about the idea of, you know, what was the response of the disciples when Jesus called? They dropped their nets. Yeah. They dropped their nets and went, you know, yeah. and are we going to live as men? Are we going to live as leaders where we're willing to drop our nets and go, Amen. you know, or are we, well, I've got to do this. I've got yeah. to take care of this. I've got to, nope, let's just drop our nets and go. When, yeah. when God calls, let's be so audacious yeah. as to obey. Yeah. Listen, the, you know, here's the thing. Um, in the Hebrew, the word hear and the word obey is the same word, Shema. Hmm. So the idea of hearing hmm. and not obeying it's foreign. It's really a foreign concept, and the two things begin to be different. Even as early as James's day, at the day of the New Testament, when mm -hmm. James says, "Hey, if you are a hearer and not a doer, doer, you are deceiving yourself," because the whole idea of hearing means mm. to obey. Mm. And so, I can't congratulate myself because I went to church and heard a sermon. If I'm not obeying it, I hadn't heard it. Oh, I love that. I mean, that's a powerful concept. Powerful. And uh, so we have, in our Western way of thinking, we've divided what we, be we've sort of separated what, be what we believe and how we behave. Mm. Right? Right. But, but the whole idea is it's, it, it, it's to together. What I really believe, I behave. And if I don't behave it, I don't believe it. Mm -hmm. Don't kid yourself. Because what we really believe, if I really believe danger was out that door, I wouldn't go out that door. I mean, if I really believe, you know, I mean, I, I what I believe, I live by. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what the word believe means, to, to by live, to live by. Mm -hmm. And so the whole idea of hearing the word of God and obeying the word of God and letting that be a singular thing and not two different things where I have an option. Mm. I love that. All right. Coming back to the kind of the barriers that are being torn down with with Kenny Grant Ministries and whatnot, 
let, let's go back to you taking the gig at Calvary. Yeah. Um, that was a special time for us as a couple. Uh, yeah. The church had been through some pretty hard times. Yeah. And uh, Karen and I, as a couple, we were praying about whether the Lord was going to keep, keep leave us there or, or let us go. That's and I'll be honest. Yeah. Now, the Lord, Bible says pray with direction. I was praying to let us go. <laughs> like, I'm just going to be totally honest. Like, that was, I was praying, Lord, release yeah, us. Yeah, so you I'm going to pray about this. Now, I'm going to go and pray. And Karen, you go upstairs and pack. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. I mean, listen, you know, it, it was a tough, it was a tough time. Tough, yeah. And, uh, and we began praying and just asking the Lord that, Lord, show us if you're now at the same time, we felt no peace about leaving. Right. Like our, our hearts wanted to go, right. but our feet refused to move because God hadn't moved us yet, right. you know? And we began praying and just saying, Lord, if you've got us here, then you've got to show us why. Right. And, and then you came in as an interim at first right. during a period of time where we, our, our, our senior pastor had left and it was a difficult time. Right. Um, you came in as an interim. Now you, Walk me through kind of how that how that breaks down, uh, why you'd even take a gig like that at a at a all white, you know, <laughs> upper class, yeah. formerly great church. Yeah. Uh, tell, walk me through that because it was a special time. Well, I had been preaching over at um, Compassion mm-hmm. Church, which was certainly the largest church right, in huge. that region, right. and I've been doing their Wednesday evening services and things like that, and so. So many of the people who had been members of Calvary were going to Compassion, you know, and um, and so so many people had left Calvary. There were those brave people, and I always say brave people who stayed at Calvary had every reason in the world to leave, but they stayed. That's what I feel like I inherited, by the way. Um, but anyway, um, word got to one or two of the movers and shakers at Calvary that I might be available to do some pulpit supplies, what they called it, to come in because I think at that time you endured what we're doing, mm-hmm, the preaching, right. and, and I know you had the, you were at that time, what, the upper school principal upper school or whatever. Principal and associate had, and yeah. so I was asked to come to help. I was tired. That. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> so I was asked to come to help, and after being there for a little while, I began to hear a little bit of buzz about maybe the possibility of me being at Calvary, which I thought was as crazy, crazy. as anything else. Not a man of my persuasion at Calvary Baptist Temple, a name, as you said, had been formerly great church, a born and going church, but was certainly in decline. So when we got there, I just went, uh, James, to be a blessing, be a placeholder and to try to be a blessing to the people. And I found some people who there who were traumatized. I mean, you know, Calvary had gone through so very much over its history and certainly the recent years. And, um, so I went there simply to minister and to love on the people. Uh, and here's the thing. I've been preaching all around Savannah and preaching at, at, at um, uh, Compassion. And I knew that God had given me the giftings just to, to preach and to love people, mm-hmm. not administration, not all that came with being the lead pastor of Calvary. So I agreed to come and thinking that that's, you know, that would be the extent of my of responsibilities. But after having been there for just a little while, I began to get some of the people asking me about the possibility. And I think you, what, you were the leader of the, uh, the, committee, the, yeah. the committee. And uh, I remember your talk with me is when I thought, whoa, this is, this is serious. When you said, hey, we'll suspend the search if you would be willing. And that's when it really got mm-hmm. on and popping, as mm-hmm. we might say. 
And so I guess I was vetted in some sense and became the lead pastor at that time. With but, like a 98 or 99 percent vote. I mean, it was a huge vote. Yeah. yeah it was a, listen, I maybe it was even 100 percent. I can't it remember. It was 98 point. I think. Yeah. I can't remember. It's like the one guy who votes no to everything at <laughs> the back. You yeah. know, he that guy's there. always there. He was there. <laughs> I, yeah, he was there. But it was it was astounding. It was humbling. Um, and I found a dear group of people, uh, traumatized, right? Uh, this is a great church that had, had great financial footing um, just a couple of years earlier, three or four years earlier. Maybe what just eight hundred thousand dollars from mm-hmm. completely paying off a twenty-two mm-hmm. acre campus right. in the hospital district of Savannah, um, but traumatized because of what had happened with the turn in the economy, and people leaving, and this and that. But I tell you, ten of the best years I spent in my life was mm. pastoring Calvary Baptist Temple. That's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. And and being in partnership with you and Kevin. well, and, and and the Lord and, the Lord saw such barriers come down in the yeah, city. Yeah, Savannah is a, a, a pretty a pretty racially separated city. Like there's yeah. a there there's a lot of um, race issues in Savannah that frankly here in Atlanta it's not quite on the tip of people's tongues. Right, it, it's certainly there, and it's it's absolutely something that I believe it's one of the prime callings of any Christian leaders that right. we're meant to be a voice to tear down Shake those walls. Down. Yeah. Um, but boy, in Savannah, it's right there, right there at the tip of your tongue. Right. And uh, it, it was an important time. And we really saw our church transform yeah. from being pretty much an all white church yeah. to being, I would argue the most diverse church in the city. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think there was many, that, anybody yeah. else who could really compare to us. Well, you know, when, when Calvary said, Yes to Kenny Grant. It was saying yes to the community. Yeah. And it gave African-American people, I think, permission to right. come see what God was doing over right. there. It's something only you can only attribute to the work of the Holy Spirit. Only. I mean, that's one of those things where no one, no one gets the glory on that. Yeah. Only God gets only the glory God on that because it's bombastic. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and that's that, like... I loved, like, really and truly, that'll be one of the chapters of my life that yeah. I that I am most overjoyed about. Well, God used you in that particular and at that time, and um, you know, and I I do think darkness was pushed back, right? And I do think it the Calvary became an example of it what did. kingdom life yeah. ought to look like, and certainly not a perfect church, right? But I I do think that um, something admirable. And something that glorified God happened. Yeah, this time. we joked all the time that you were you were preaching at all white churches, and I was preaching at all black churches <laughs> during that period of time, which <laughs> exactly. was just a riot, you know. Exactly. Uh, to, to to watch those right. things to watch those things change. Um, how did God direct you to this next step? So now we're kind of circling back a little bit. You're at Calvary. Things are cooking. Yeah. Uh, how, how does God direct you to this next step? How do you know it's time to to roll on out? Well, James, I, I couldn't be sure. Except I began to feel like I was really not equipped. I was equipped to do what God brought me there to do, and that is to love these folk, to preach the book. But what Calvary was going to need was going to look different than me and be different than what I felt like. Not that God couldn't do it Mm -hmm. using me, but I think he began to impress me. 
And so I, I wouldn't tell you it was fatigue. I wouldn't tell you it was just a desire to do something else. I would just tell you that I felt uh, moved or impressed that my time had come to an end, but I hadn't said it to anyone. Mm-hmm. I got COVID. And uh, rarely, I mean, I, I, do I, I, I wouldn't tell you I'm a superstitious person or, you know, I'm spooky. Uh, but I will tell you this, I feel like God spoke to me very, very, very clearly that my time at Calvary was is, was up. And when I got well and I got off of that sick bed, I went directly to the elders. I hardly had a thought mm. that I didn't tell them. Well, they had to, it was like a roller coaster ride because I just throw stuff up and hey. Mm-hmm. But I told them that I felt like it was coming to an end. And uh, it took another couple of years. Mm. But... Um, how this door swung open. So clearly God. So clearly God. Yeah, I mean, right in your skill set. Yeah. And uh, and the fact that my wife had gone through and become a nurse practitioner right. and was hired on St. Simon's before I was asked to come to this church. Mm-hmm. You know, everything said go. I was wanting to go back home again. Anyway, Brunswick, I was I was longing to to do something in my community. We, you know, we had the. Uh, uh, Ahmaud Aubrey stuff going on. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go home. I felt like some of that was being hijacked. I wanted to to be in my community, but God opened the door and showed me it was time to run through that door, and we did. And He has since shown us that that was the right. Moment. That's right. That's yeah, right. In so many ways. What a blessing! Just just to just to watch how God. How God works. Oh, yeah. you know? You've experienced it here. You Absolutely. know what I'm talking about. I know exactly I mean, what you're saying. You know, this is only my third place where, I, where I've ever served. Right. Um, but you know, each, each place, uh, it was like, man, things were cooking. Like, yeah. you, you really should be at the spot where you're like, man, this is great. Yeah. You know, I've yeah. been slugging it out for all these years. Now I get to do a little bit of Easy bit. Street, you know. <laughs> yeah. And yet, it was during both those times, uh, the Lord put in me a Holy Spirit, spirit of discontent. Okay. Shouldn't be discontented over anything. Yeah. Things are going great. Yeah. People love me. Right. You know, the job's getting easier and easier. And yet the Lord put that in me. Now, I'm a bit of a gypsy, so I never really trust that with me. <laughs> uh, it, but, but when my wife started to experience the same thing, yeah. and she said, hey, JT, I, this is how God's working in me. This is what I'm hearing from the Lord. Then I knew. And that, that's the way it's worked in both of our places. That, man, when the Lord starts working in her in yeah. the exact same way, then I know, okay, all right, yeah. let's tune our spiritual ears a little bit, little bit to a higher frequency yeah. and see and see what he's doing, you yeah. know. And the Lord directed us here so clearly. It's a, it's a, it's such a it's such a privilege. I I I say to staff and men's Bible study that I'm teaching and everything, that my courage is borrowed. Mm. That that we can have a courage to walk into unknown things yeah. and frightening things and scary things. If we know that it's God's will, mm-hmm. our courage is borrowed. Amen. You That's know, we, we, we get, we get to ride on the courage of the creator of the universe yeah. to yeah. know that it's his Very will. Good. And that gives us a sense of boldness oh, yeah. to proceed where maybe we have some fear to do so. It's a know? choice. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's it, a choice. it really is a choice. Yeah. And you can choose to be courageous and you can choose to be strong. God yeah. said to Joshua, both of those things, yeah. be strong and courageous. Yeah. He sort of commanded him, and uh, commanded it, and and it can be chosen, you know, chosen. Courage is not the absence of fear. You know that, right? It is overcoming fear, right? 
and um, and moving past your fear, I might right. say. Moving Being afraid and doing it anyway. Doing it anyway yeah. because God said it, leaving the consequences yeah. to him. It's yeah. easier to talk about than just to do, yeah. but it's rewarding living, and it is the, yeah. it is the living, the kind of living that honors God. Yeah, that's and right. I don't think anything blesses the heart of God any more than us just trusting him. That's right. Right? Absolutely. So what's the next chapter? What's the next steps? Well, I'm here doing what I'm doing here now, and I just okay. feel like, you know, one of the things that was said to me, um, and and I had said, I'd asked the Lord, Lord, I don't know whether I'm to leave Calvary right now. I sense that this is what you want me to do. But whatever I do, whatever it is you show me, I want the next 10 years of my life, I'll be 72, yeah. to be productive, fruit-filled years is yeah. what I've asked. Whatever it is, yeah. whether that's teaching past at community church uh, being an evangelist, whatever the, you know, the Band of Brothers ministry, the Kenny Grant ministry, whatever it is, I just want it to be productive. I want it to be fruitful. I want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with whatever's left. I've made a, I've made some foolish decisions in my life. I've done some stupid things, and I know I'm not exempt from doing that. You know, I've got enough fool in me that's still right. to give do. away everything that's important <laughs> to me. But I want to make better decisions. I want to spend my life influencing influencers, mm. you know? And you're gifted for that. I, w- I, w- I want to do that right. to the best of my ability. That's awesome. What, one of the, the, the examples of my faith that I met very early, very, very early in my life. So my very first pastoral job, I was a youth pastor at this little church in Middleborough, Massachusetts. And uh, I was assigned to, so I, I worked with a youth group and I also did visitation ministry. So I worked visitation. with the youngest and the oldest, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I worked with these shut-ins and, and, and so, some of the shut-ins now they were just mean, like yeah. just mean and crotchety. <laughs> uh, but I drank a lot of tea yeah. and I, and I, I, you know, ate a lot of, uh, ate a lot of crumpets. Uh, I yeah. Guess. Cr- yeah. <laughs> different desserts. But one certain, certain folks I just fell in love with. And there was this one old lady that I would go to visit and I would go to visit her, frankly, more than I even needed to because mm, yeah. she was so edifying to me. But her name is Marguerite Kingsley. She's long since gone on with the Lord. But when I met her, she was 97 years old. She was living in this, in this little home with, with some older folks there. She, she was from Paris. She had spoke with this French accent. And she walked, now I'm a fast walker, which you know. Yeah. She walked faster than me. I had to, I had to keep up with her. <laughs> she, mostly blind, and I would go to visit her, and she'd take my hand, and she called me Jamie. She'd run me up to her room, and I, she was mostly blind. She just knew where she was walking. And I would I'd read Scripture because she couldn't read Scripture any longer. So she, I would just stay there forever and read Scripture to her. But I remember looking inside her Bible, 97 years old now. Yeah. Inside her Bible, she had her 10-year plan, which she had just written about how she was going to impact the kingdom. Now, here's this little blind lady, 97 years old, Living a in a little nursing home in Middleborough, Massachusetts, and she's got a ten-year plan about how she's going to impact the Lord. You I'm know, com- I'm convicted. <laughs> you know, and but I mean, it really, like as yeah. a young guy, man, did that hit me? Yeah. I thought, good night. Wow. You know, that that she wanted to read through the scriptures again, and she didn't read anymore. Mm. You know, but she was going to listen. She bought a tape deck, and she was, you know, she, everybody who she came in, man. she knew what the next passage of scripture right. she wanted to read through. She had different people that she had listed in there that she could still have impact on. Yeah. I love that, right? Wow. We never get to check out. We yeah. never get to hang up the shoes, yeah. you know? And so I'm, I'm excited because I, I, I still feel like, man, your best days are ahead. I just, 
everybody who's listening to this podcast, you need to have Kenny Grant Ministries. You need to have this man come out and speak at your church because it's he's just one of the most uniquely called men I've ever met in my life. And so, Pastor, it's been a privilege to do life with you for at least a a decade, close to a decade and a half at this point in time. And and, uh, I'm excited about all that God has done. I'm so grateful for the Lord bringing you into my path during a very important time and uh, and just watching God work. So I appreciate your friendship. Thank you, James. Love you and Karen. Love, Love you your too. fine, fine son and daughter, yep. Colton and Alyssa. Yep. Thank and I guess man. we can throw in your son-in-law, too. I that's guess. right. He's pretty good, too. <laughs> yeah, I think okay. it's just start, start giving us grandkids. That'd be yeah, yeah, that's right. That's so, right. All right. Blessing to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Thank Pastor. you. Love you, pal. God bless We have been overwhelmed with the glowing response to season one of the Joy of Leadership podcast. Thank you to our faithful listeners for tuning in every week. And thank you for telling your friends. And thank you even more for liking us on YouTube or wherever you receive your podcasts. While we are blessed to have faithful listeners in every section of the U.S., our biggest cities being Atlanta, New York, Seattle, and even Wichita, Kansas, we have been surprised by the global impact of the podcast. We are literally reaching thousands around the world with faithful weekly listeners in Canada, Kenya, the Netherlands, and even Sri Lanka. We are humbled by God's favor on our program as we encourage others to keep Christ in the center. This show could not take place without the expertise and brilliance of our producer, David Bell, and our director, Blake Pace. Boldly lives at the intersection of vocational success and spiritual courage. Email us at thejoyofleadership at gmail.com. Thank you for being a faithful member of the Joy of Leadership podcast family.